money. money. The game everyone plays, but few win. Extracting the knowledge from the top 1%. Extracting the knowledge. And teaching you the ever-changing rules of play. It's time to level up and take control of the money game. Let's talk money. Big, big, big money. Yes! Welcome back to the money game. We've got a a very special guest on today. A new new just friend. We're already friends. We're homies already. Mikey Lucas, how you doing, brother? Good, my man. Good. I'm loving uh, loving life, loving the season, and uh, uh, ready to. Uh, I believe our, uh, our 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 house is prepared for the storm that is coming with this economy. Dude, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to dive into that. It's, uh, you know, both of our spaces. There's a lot of interesting stuff on the on the horizon. Um, yep. But for all you guys that are listening, if you're a first time, just another reminder, the purpose of the podcast and, and the mission here and why we have Mikey on is we want to expose you to as many high-level entrepreneurs or investing professionals and just overall kick-ass people that are winning the wealth game and have good mindsets on it so that you can go and develop and research and you know find your path wherever it may be or develop a portfolio however that looks mikey is actually has a, a similar background to myself you started in the sales world right yep yep door door sales started knocking uh, alarm systems first summer Sold a whole a whole sixty two accounts. Let's go. I was on a performance was on a performance improvement plan every single week. Almost got <laughs> sent home. But, uh, yeah, I got right into got right into solar. Exited that, and then started a private equity uh, fund management company. Dude, that's freaking sick. And obviously, dude, there, there's so much in there. I think you know we want to dive into that a little bit, dude. You're from door to door to private equity. That's a that's a big jump. But there are a lot of correlative skill sets. Like, how does that transition happen for you? Okay, so when you can do, I'm a big proponent, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to quote the Bible a lot. Forgive me, I might drop an F-bomb here and there too. No forgiveness Um, needed. um, So Luke 16 uh, says that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but if you are faithful and little, you'll be faithful in much. So I knew that no matter what I was doing, I needed to make sure that I was taking my vitamins, going to the gym, you know, doing my uh, my budget mixer, right? Like managing my books, right? Reading my scripts, preparing, practicing, you know, sharpening the axe, doing the little things, which eventually led me up to a point of now running a $50 million energy fund. And um, I think it, it is directly correlated with, hey, when I didn't want to go knock on doors when it was 115, 118 degrees in Las Vegas, but I did anyway. It's exactly the same correlation of, hey, you know, these these traveling away from my wife for multiple days at a time or getting on these calls, doing what I'm doing now is the exact same thing. So the character traits that I grew, which give you know credit to Jim Rohn for teaching me that, probably the one person that I can consume the most amount of content from, is it's not about what you're getting, it's about who you're becoming. So I really focus on character traits because I didn't have a college uh, degree. I have a college education, I guess you can say, but I don't have a college degree. So I knew that I had to have the boot on ground experience and that dude 100% came from door to door sales because it's I mean doing anything for 10 years you can be good at it but at the same time doing it six days a week six and a half days a week for 10 years straight um, as you know anybody that I talked to at least that they're like what you did door to door sales like yes I got my teeth kicked in 99 times (laughs) to get one yes yes six days a week full time Uh, I missed weddings missed Christmas missed Christmases I missed I mean holidays I miss, you know, funerals with family because if I didn't do what I did for the first, you know, five, seven years of missing that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Dude, I, I th- you said something. I, I actually love the scripture and I love that you kind of went a little deeper on it. But I think this is something a lot of people miss. Um, and for anyone listening, we have a lot of, you know, door-to-door guys just from the ecosystem that are listening to this. I know you have a huge network there too. I, I think a lot of people think, you know, oh, it's it's just this means to an end. And what you just said is so, so profound. And everyone that I've known doing a big private equity fund, going and actually successfully starting their own business, they, they are really passionate and purposeful, even though it's not their dream scenario, they're still executing lights out. And and like what you just said, the using it as a vehicle to become is so critical. And it's a lot of people miss that. I think that's why we see reps fizzle out, go into something else and it never really gets anywhere purposeful. 
And then you see guys like yourself or me, or, you know, some of the apex predators of the space who have gone and ran big funds or real estate or started their own company. Like those are the traits that they're carrying. Yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it up. I'll give credit to my dad on that. My dad um, always told me growing up, he said, you know, no matter whether I was at the car wash at In-N-Out Burger, which I used to work at, my whole family used to work at In-N-Out Burger. He said, no matter what you do, always, always act like someone's watching you. Mm. And no matter if it was no one out there and I was sweeping up, you know, freaking double, double wrappers in the back of the, you know, busiest In-N-Out Burger here in Vegas. And, and, and I, I thought no one saw me. I always was pretending that somebody was watching me and that somebody was watching me as if it was like a recruiter. So mm -hmm. you kind of kind of can put sports into play there. It's like, hey, if you're in the backyard, you know, th throwing, a, you know, throwing a ball against the, 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 the cement wall, like practice um, as if it's game time. And I mean, I, I guess I knew like, I always knew like I had that I had that um, understanding that eventually someone would come find me. I never really thought I was going to really run companies like this let alone success, successful companies. Um, cause I just, I, I was always like my, like the whole story is like, I was like, you know, I was the underdog growing up and got cut from my senior year of baseball. Like, you know, didn't make the team, like, you know, didn't make, uh, you know, I got beat out in wrestling. Like, you know, I, I wasn't, a, I ended up not even being a starter in football. So like, you could say that I always thought I would always just be like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in line, mm. you know, even in elementary school, I, only because my brother, would I ever even get picked on teams, you know? And, uh, I was, I guess I was uncoordinated or whatever, but, um, I also just was a hot head and you know, couldn't catch the ball. So like there was, I was really just a warm body. So I knew that eventually I, if, if I could just, um, practice enough, if you will, that mm. somebody would eventually come and get me. And I just knew that it was going to take time. And that's, I think what a lot of our generation 20 and 30 year olds miss is that they want it. You know, it's, it's whole like JG Wentzworth, like freaking commercial for our entire generation. It's my money and I want it now. Yeah. And I, and I, I understand that, right? Jordan Belfort says, I don't want to get rich slow. I want to get rich fast. And I get that, right? And then there's the Dave Ramseys that are saying like, you know, if you get rich quick, you know, you're going to lose it all. It's like, okay, I understand that. But sorry, not my sister's house and there's dogs here. Um, no but yeah, if you get rich, if you get rich fast, you're going to lose it all. But I just, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to, uh, to, to lose all my, or to lose all my money, obviously. But I also knew that if I worked very, very hard, that eventually someone would catch me. And at the same time, I got all the character traits and attributes that, you know, now runs a multi-million dollar energy fund and, you know, ran multiple successful, uh, you know, uh, solar companies and, and ran and, and helped multiple people become multi-millionaires and millionaires and their first, you know, hundred thousand dollars, which is the hardest part. Yeah, uh, I think so. It, it's it's cool, man. I've got a lot of really good, uh, really good track record that people care about. Me dude, it just it's it's it just goes to show. Dude, I, I like how you said. I, I this is something I've actually been thinking about a lot recently and trying to figure it out just because of the space of building teams and you know, do I run a real estate fund too? And it's just what you said. I think is an interesting thing that you you know you didn't make the teams. You you got turned down. You got cut early, young. I feel like, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I feel like people who go through a little bit of like ego cuts early where they have to say like, dude, I just wasn't good enough are almost more willing to like put their gut on the line again. And cause it's like, dude, I failed once my whole world didn't implode. Like I didn't make the team. I didn't get this. I didn't get the position. I didn't get the time Like going to knock another door, trying a new thing, venturing a new space. Like I'll do whatever it takes, but I'm okay. Like being willing to do that. Cause so many people are just so afraid to take that step. I would say the reason why they're afraid to take the step is because they're afraid of public humiliation. Yeah. And, um, we put on this front, I think I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've made millions of dollars, raised millions of dollars and made millions of dollars from social media, but social media has done us to this service. I think that you and I were talking about this when we, we talked the other day as well, is that social media has done us a disservice that we should only put the good things out there. Mm -hmm. And if anybody finds out, that you didn't get the deal because you were lazy and didn't show up on time or whatever. Like if, if, if you fail, then you're not going to be enough. If you're not enough, you, you're not going to be able to be loved. And I think that there's, there's those core human needs that we have in our life um, that people realize, like if I fail and start, go start a business, put it out there and I'm going to be that guy yeah. that everyone sees that like, you know, they try, but they, in theory, it wasn't a successful venture, but guess what? 
I knew that I needed uh, I needed to get cut up a little bit to uh, to be able to try and, and and for me honestly it wasn't it wasn't about door door sales it wasn't even about solar it was am I willing to do the thing I said I was going to do which was to do this thing for at least ten years mm. and I did so you you're then you're a really rare breed because you you know as well as as I know like most people get in and like that that time span is not even on their radar you mentioned earlier 23 30 year olds right now they're just like i need it now if it doesn't work in two months six minutes an hour like i don't want to play anymore i'm gonna jump 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 you you when you started you were like dude i'm gonna commit to 10 years and try to try to make this thing happen let me, let me explain to you in this way just so that the visual understand people that are listening can understand this imagine you're you've never skated on ice before in your life Okay, and you go and you're a 25 year old and you get you get a for whatever reason, um, like the president of the United States says, you got to go play. And if you want to, you know, whatever, not the judge. Okay, the judge says you got in trouble for speeding five over in a school zone, whatever. The judge says you got to go and compete for the next five years in men's adult hockey. But you've never skated. You're from Vegas. You've never skated in your entire life. Okay, this is me right here. That's what I felt like. When I got on the ice for the first time playing hockey with this puck getting rammed by adults, uh, that's what it felt like doing door-to-door sales. Um, but guess what? It felt the same when I was getting into restaurants, fine dining here in Vegas. It felt the same when I was going into you know customer service at In-N-Out Burger. It felt the same when I was not really with car washes because car washes, we technically wash our cars growing up anyway. But it felt the same. You just, in theory, got to choose your hard. Um, but dude, I I just, I knew that I knew that multiple billionaires started off knocking on doors, whether it was residential or commercial business to business or, uh, 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 door to door for residential. I knew that it was a, it was, there was many successful people that didn't have the accolades of what the Ivy league, if you will, you know, uh, degrees that those guys had it, the cube, Mark Cuban's. You know, a, a lot of people did that. Eric Thomas, um, you know, and Howard Schultz, like Starbucks. I mean, so many people, yeah. right? There's a Forbes uh, article uh, on it. It's like did, uh, McDonald's, right? Like uh, the McDonald's guy, um, whatever that dude's name is, I forget his name. Um, anyways, these guys all did door to door sales. Yeah. Like, it was business, business, or door to door. So I was like, okay, these very successful people did it. So, and then I heard, okay, like, hey, you know, if you turn your car into a classroom, which again, sounds super silly, but if you, if you turn your car into a classroom, you're going to get the equivalent of what's like a doctorate degree in like five years. And I was like, bro, that's a normal person driving, you know, like five or 8,000, you know, 8,000, 10,000 miles a year. I drive like 30,000 miles a year doing door door. I was like, yeah. shoot, I can get a doctorate degree. And I knew that, um, I had, uh, ironically, there's this guy named John who was a mentor of mine years ago actually my, my ex-girlfriend's um, dad, and he told me that I needed to get better a vocabulary, a better mm-hmm. vocabulary, because I had a lot of like, I guess you could say street talk, young, you could tell that I was young, it didn't have a lot of other words to use. Yeah. And he, he gave me two books, um, which was Outliers and yeah. Talent is Overrated. And those two books were the first two books that I ever read in my entire life, other than Green Eggs and Ham, cover to cover. <laughs> I'm not kidding. All, I'm not kidding. All the way through high school, I didn't read books. I was I had severe dyslexic and reading disabilities and learning disabilities. I just couldn't focus. Right. Jeez. Um. Anyways, those two books really set a foundation of okay, I've got a really like I, I mean, first of all, I had a first grade kindergarten reading level when I was in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So you can imagine, you know, what I was listening to Eminem at the time and whatever else I was listening to, Big Bang too. That was yeah. my vocabulary. So I knew that I needed to get a better vocabulary, which I, I I made this game up when we were living in Dallas called Game of Thoris, where you where you grab a thesaurus and you open up to a random page, you say, you know, all right, the first letter is C, it's a noun, and you start saying all of the synonyms and you have people guess the mm-hmm. word. So we were just like learning, you know, instead of saying qualify. You, you could say, be a good fit. You could say, I mean, tons of different, you know, yeah. you know be accepted into the program, like, you, like learning how to articulate your words better so that people didn't see the same old 80s, 90s, and early 2000s salesmen coming door to door to them was my only way out of, uh, I guess you could say, poverty. Dude, I, I think that that's an actually, I don't know that I've ever had anybody talk about this before, but I genuinely have mentioned this to reps, and I've spoken to people about this. Vocabulary is a super, super powerful skill. 
and like increasing your vocabulary and reading constantly to develop that. I couldn't even tell you how many times, especially, you know, this super well when you're managing a fund, that's like a pretty, pretty upper level finance sector. Right. And sometimes you're dealing with pretty, pretty sophisticated people. Your ability to just articulate, understand and know definitions and speak the language of investing to speak the language of a sector like you build so much credibility so fast and people are super aware i know you do it all the time too like people are super aware when they say a word and it just like goes over somebody's head and some people use it almost to like check the intelligence level which i think you know to some degree is is not great but the ability to take those complex speak to the complex sophisticated individuals and then also go and train people who don't have the same vocabulary like playing both levels of the vocab, like I, it's a very, very high income skill. It puts you in a lot of rooms. I'm uh, Moik. I just learned yesterday a word over my head uh, that I did not understand. Moik, multiple, <laughs> multiple uninvested capital. I was being pitched a, a an investment yesterday, investing with like, uh, let's see, uh, EOG, Core Energy. Uh, Conical Phillips, Marathon, and Chevron, and uh, the person presenting to me said the word "armoic" is fifteen percent, which in theory is a metric used to describe the value of performance of an investment related to its initial capital. And it was like I was like, "Oh yeah, uh huh." But my partner yeah. texted me that because he could tell, like I didn't understand what the heck the person was <laughs> talking about. So, anyways, yes, um, I'm I'm actually studying for my Series sixty five now, and and oh, I'll awesome. continue to to learn, but. Yeah, the private equity, uh, the private equity sector is it's a it's a language, and they do that on purpose. They don't they want do. people to know. It's just I, like medicine; they don't want you to know um, on on purpose. They want it's a, it's an insider club, it's an insider's league, and if you're not in the league, get out. And they're yeah. good; they don't want you in there. It's kind of a barrier of entry, the status side of it, like because there oh, is yeah. there is complex ideas, and the the reality is once you get into it, the investment, a lot of the people, it's not as complex as they make it seem, but they like kind of wrap it in these in this super sophisticated uh, vernacular that's you know even when I'm going through PPMs with people really really sophisticated individuals business owners they have no idea what the heck's going on <laughs> but like they know how to execute right well dude yeah, I, I get that all I get that all the time when I'm talking to investors newer investors and they like it's it, you could tell initially how much money they've either made or invested when, when they ask you how big your dick is within the first 30 seconds, which to me is how much money have you raised? Yeah. And I'm like, that is not something you ask within the first 30 seconds uh, of, 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 of being presented a, you know, a fund. Like yeah. You don't ask how big is your dick, you know, before, before you go out. Like, it's like, it's, 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 uh, it's very immature. And I didn't know that. Right. But now, now I'll check these dudes. I'm like, yeah, cool. Sweet. I'm not telling you how big my dick is. Uh, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty immature to ask that. It's like ask a girl asking how big your dick is before you go on your first date. That's pretty weird to ask that right <laughs> off the bat. So no worries, but I know what you mean. I know what you want to ask. And it, a lot of it comes down to educating people on uh, really what to ask and taking the fund manager hat off and being like Coach Mikey hat back on yeah. and like going back and forth with a lot of these investors because everybody at the end of the day, and again, it goes back to the being insignificant, um, not being enough. Everybody that I coached in my entire career has always said, I don't know what the hell to do with my money. Like uh, I'm clueless. I don't have clarity on what to do. Every single person, there's not been one that has ever said, I, I know exactly what I'm doing. Everyone's like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. I'll help me. So I follow you, whatever. It's like, great. Perfect. That's a very good starting point that you have ignorance. Good. Because if you are like the other people that try to act like they know what they're talking about, You've got a major problem, buddy. It obviously, dude, like you, you transition into a pretty like really sophisticated space. I think a lot of people would love to know, how did you even like pick oil? How did you get into that space? Because that's a, to, I think to most people, maybe to yourself, it doesn't feel like a big jump. But I think to everyone listening, they're like, how the heck did you even get in this, in this arena? Yeah, I get a little bit of shade thrown to me on uh, on like YouTube and Instagram and all that. They're like, you know, how could you trader? How could you go from solar you know, it's like, um, uh, how could how could you go from from solar to, uh, to to oil and gas? Like, isn't the whole point of getting into solar, you know, to save the planet and save the fishies and all that stuff? It's like, yeah, sure, but 
Um, the thing is that I didn't do solar to save the planet. Sure, I obviously do care about, um, you know, the oceans and the atmosphere and pollution and all that. But I did it because I knew that I could I had a product that could save um, lower income, middle income and elderly people money uh, on an existing expense that they were always going to have. And the power company, no offense, is a publicly traded company. Most of them owned by Warren Buffett, you know, west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, OK, well. If, uh, if the power company is not here to take care of low income, middle income or elderly people, maybe I can. And that's where I thought helping people with their finances uh, would potentially not only help them from not going through another 2007, 2008, but at the same time, be able to, in theory, the cherry on top was sure. And we get to help the environment at the same time. Yeah. If that's what it really what it does, which I think it does. Uh, it, it helps the economy. It helps with um, people, the, the, the human race thriving. Um, so how did I transition? Well, I guess the, the real story was, uh, the real story goes, um, I, when I did a lot of investing with a lot of my friends and family, we did a lot of real estate franchises, cryptocurrency, stuff like that. And that, you know, we would do that and just like, you know, had our, our group of guys that we were investing with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I was like, okay, as I transitioned and, and, and exited out of my companies, um, I went to a mastermind and they had some guy go up there and pitch on starting a fund, you know, doing the difference between a fund and a syndication. He had this whole program. Was it Pennington? And I talked, yeah, Richard Pennington. And I went up to him after and I was like, Hey bro, here's my Amex. It's unlimited. Like what's the cost? Let's do this. I'm down. Um, I've, I've been investing with people's money for the last like five years. Like what, what do we got to do? Cause it sounds like this is the next way for me. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I go, well, I want to do real estate, put solar panels on them and, you know, be able to get like, you know, depreciation and help, you know, add value or whatever he goes. And what do you do now? I go, oh, I, I run a, so I just, you know, I just exited solar companies. I've been yeah. doing solar last 10 years. And he goes, so let me ask you this, Mikey, why would you, and I remember the exact spot where he said this. He's like, well, why would you, why would somebody give Mikey Lucas money when you've been doing energy the last 10 years instead of like, Cody Sperber, Cole Hatter, or any of those guys, or like, you know, Bobby Castro. And I was like, uh, because I'm Mikey Lucas and I'm a door salesman, I could sell on anything. He goes, well, <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, seriously though, why don't you just do energy? And as a matter of fact, I got this guy named Ryan Miller who ran, uh, multiple energy funds and all that stuff in our, in our mastermind. Um, and you know, he was like, well, that's the only mastermind, only guy in energy that I have. And I was like, done perfect. So I can be mentored by the guy that's already done it, been there, done that and exited. Okay, cool. Sweet. Here's my card. Swipe it. What's funny is that he still tried to like sell me on it after the fact on the call. And I was like, Bridger, here's my card. You're like, I'm Dude, down. Sell me. I'm already in. You're good. Um, you don't need to sell me. I got it. Yes. <laughs> Proper expectations. Understood. But like, let's go. Listo. Come on, brother. Sign me up. Get me into your courses. Let's go. That's awesome. So I've been in that. I've been in that match my last two years called Black Card. And it's basically a bunch of fund managers and fundraisers that share ideas on you know, fundraising and fund management and, you know, how to do due diligence on deals and how to run it properly, you know, how to pitch, you know, family offices that are going to, you know, invest five, 10, 20, $30 million in your, in your fund. Um, and I guess the, yeah, the real reason why was because I'm not a real estate guy and I have a bunch of real estate, but my, my thing was I would always give real estate to other, my money to other people like you yeah. and be like, Hey, you're a real estate guy you deal with my money. I'm going to go sell solar panels because I make, you know, 500 to $2,000 an hour doing that. So instead of going and making, you know, 300, 400, $500 a month per door, why don't I just give my money to you and you can multiply my money. And that's what I did. And I just went and gave hundred thousand here, $200,000 there, $300,000 there, $500,000 mm-hmm. here, hundred, 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 hundred to multiple people. And luckily most of those worked out. Not all of them did. Um, and uh, not just in real estate, but in other other areas. Yeah. And I realized that I had a blue ocean strategy. Not one person that I knew was in any of the masterminds that I was ever in um, was doing energy. There was one guy, mm. um, but not Ryan Miller, but there's another guy named Ryan Working. And he wasn't even starting a fund. He just wanted, he was a, um, you know, he went to the uh, a big, you know, Colorado, Colorado School of Mines. Yeah. And has a really good engineering degree in oil and gas. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm the only one here. Blue ocean strategy, move forward. And then I just did what I did it, uh, you know, in business and in solar. I went and read every single website I possibly could. Just dove in energy, but went to Barnes and Nobles, bought every single book off the shelf: oil and gas, taxes, investing, drilling, you know, uh, macro, micro, everything I possibly could, and just started consuming, 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 taking notes, 
And then obviously got that cell phone and started talking about everything that I was doing. And now I've got guys that are big dogs hitting me up um, because I didn't wait till I was perfect. I just started investing and started posting videos about it. And now it's working. Dude, I, there, there's a couple of things you said I, I want to just highlight on. Um, first off, it, it, it's so funny because it really is that way. Like, dude, first off, you are so willing to make an investment. Like, you go to Pennington's thing, you're like, dude, okay, fun. That's that's the new vehicle. Boom, done. Like, pay for speed. Pay for speed. And, and I think so many people, dude, and you know this, you just went and bought every book. You, you went and bought the courses. You can find so much information. Like, everyone who's trying to level up their finances, trying to take your business next level. Like, dude, there are people out there that will give it to you. And like really, really well packaged in books as well. If you're willing to read, there is so much freaking high value information from people that have done it at the highest level that put it in a book and it might not even be a good selling book, but it's like, there's probably an oil guy who wrote a book about how he built an oil fund and no one even knows about it, but it's like this dude kicked ass at it and he just put it in a book yep. and sells it for 15 bucks. <laughs> yep. And like, yep. there's so many of those freaking topics out there. But the other thing, dude, I, I think it's interesting you went in, you pivoted. I think everybody, when they go into a fund, they initially are like, ah, real estate. Because I, I feel like that's just what probably the majority of funds are about. But you pivot into energy. How do you then, you know, go identify? You're reading everything about oil now when you're doing these deals, though, because now you're executing. You're taking on people's money. Like, you're you're playing the big game. You, you're, you're hedging the risk. You have people's stuff. Who do you partner with? And how how is your group, like, what is it specifically that your American Energy Fund does? Like, I'm going to, you know, as an investor, just on a simple level for people, what is it that you guys are identifying and helping your investors receive and like execute on? Ideally, ideally our, our goal is to bridge the gap between private capital and the energy sector by democratizing the energy sector, allowing guys like yourself and your listeners to come in that would have never knew that they could buy what's called direct interest in oil and gas wells and pipelines. Mm. A direct interest basically is the same thing as instead of you buying a stock, you actually own the real estate property. That's considered direct interest. Yeah. So when the government says direct interest, that's what that means. So we actually find, partner up with um, companies like Chevron, Exxon, ConocoPhillips, mm. um, as well as other smaller operators. And people go, wait a second, you're giving money that's investing in a Chevron well? Yes. You're giving money that's investing into a oxy well like yes warren buffett's companies yes yes we own a small portion of that well that they are a package of wells three four five wells that are nine ten million dollars a piece wells yes we are doing that and why would we be able to do that is because where the blue ocean strategy comes in is uh it's a perfect storm because blackrock pushed so hard and they basically run the world yeah. uh, them and chase um, they pushed so hard against oil and gas for the last few years because of a few reasons. Number one, they wanted to hedge their positions to now what they're doing now, which you will see, mark my words, it's already been happening. They are now buying up all of these oil and gas companies because they know that solar was what people wanted. So it was really a front. And I, I'm all for solar. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm all for solar. But this trend, this idea that we can just stop oil and have human flourishing is, is, is an absolute dog piss show, dog, yeah. dog show that, you know, it's just not going to happen. We're, we are we are we are going to run out of uh, energy before we run out of oil and gas. If you want to try to do wind and wind and uh, wind and solar again, I love me some solar, but uh, at the same time, it's a it's, it's a it's a problem. So, huh? Yeah, it's a perfect storm. Yeah, that, that, well, that's interesting. And so just going a little more on that, what is it about, obviously, direct ownership in the, in the energy, which is never going away. And I think anybody who's, even who's like owns a solar company, I think you'd be really, really naive to say that we're going to eliminate oil and gas in the next foreseeable future. It's There's just too much dependent on it. And the solar infrastructure isn't even remotely where it needs to be to like become the only source of energy on earth. But when you're doing this with an investor, like what are some of the things... Other than on that direct ownership, what are like the benefits? What are the kind of like key components? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people like, oh, I've heard of investing in oil and gas. Like, what does that even mean? Why would somebody choose oil and gas versus or as a piece of their portfolio in it, you know, in addition to like maybe they're just traditional stocks and S&P and real estate stuff? Sure. So it, it, it about less than 5% uh, of, of anybody's, uh, and this is just generally speaking of the research that I've done, 5% or less is what somebody that has like a financial advisor 
is their portfolio is an energy. Meanwhile, 15, 14 of the top 15 billionaires, according to Forbes, have made billions of dollars, not all of their fortune, but billions of dollars in the energy sector, not oil and gas. Be very clear there. Elon Musk did not make billions of dollars in, in oil and gas. He made billions of dollars in energy, mm. electric cars, solar city. Okay. Um, so, and Bezos, all these guys, Buffett in energy. Um, so, a couple of the benefits. Number one is you the difference between your your passive income tax write offs versus your active income tax write offs. Just like in solar, the homeowner gets an ITC, an investment tax credit. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's four there's four key things that the government uh, when you partner with the government, as Tom Wilwright says, um, when you partner with the government rather than try to like be against the government as far as taxes goes, you have housing, food, and water. Um, you have energy. And then you have, uh, I forget the last one, but energy, right? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, what's the last one? Housing, food, and water. I think there's transportation, infrastructure. There's like that whole, what's energy, that Energy, yeah. Oh gosh, I haven't said that one in a while. Anyways, whatever. I know what energy you're talking about. Energy is one of those, okay? Energy is one of them. So basically, um, you get active income tax write-offs when you invest in oil and gas drilling projects. Mm. Um, which is un, which is not similar to, which is not like with with, uh, with real estate, where real estate goes towards your passive income. So passive income meaning your pest control, your real estate flips, your um, solar money, whatever you know, your, your W two job. That is not that that is not um, going to help with your tax benefits when when you have real estate, unless obviously if you have you know there's a couple of qualifications there. If you make less than one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year, if you're if you're a real estate professional or if you have a short-term rental, but most people don't have those qualifications. So if they tried to say that they did, they're basically lying to the IRS and good luck with that. They can go back 10 years and you're going to recapture all of those tax benefits yeah. that you claim. So in the oil and gas sector, there's a lot of active income tax benefits that you get um, in year one initially because of the risk, quote unquote, that is inside of investing in oil and gas. So it's not just that, but also the, uh, the, the cash on cash or the returns that you get are double, if not triple, uh, what you would see in in real estate, and and that's one of the reasons why you, you to be able to invest in oil and gas, you have to be accredited because the government the government makes it that way because they they say it's because it's risky, but they, it really is because they it, they've tried to, to eliminate press out ninety nine percent of America to not be able to invest into this awesome commodity. Hmm. That's interesting. Obviously. You- I didn't know that. So it's, it's a much different tax to like benefit to, you know, high income earner or even just a regular income earner. Cause it's actually against their active. Correct. That's wild. And then what for, for you guys specifically, like, are you, are you trying to like, is the plan? Cause you know, real estate, there's a lot of different ways We're we're big on like the development side and then obviously some value add, but we're doing a lot of like build to rent stuff. There's a lot of value sure. creation there. Um, for you, is it more like, are you guys doing the drilling, like trying to find new spots? Are you guys buying existing wells? H- how are you guys even going about, like, how do you evaluate an oil opportunity or energy opportunity? Sure, sure. So we've got a 163-point um, due diligence process that we go through whenever we're investing into anybody. Um, so it, 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 and as, far as, our, as far as our portfolio goes, we've got a, a large portion of it that goes towards drilling. A large portion of that goes towards production and a large portion of it that goes to the other portion of that goes to two or three different things. So basically we've got a little bit of what's called royalties, which is like your eight to 10% returns, which is very, very safe, eight to 10% returns. And then you have a little bit of wildcatting in there as well. And some bridge loans that we give to other, uh, other operators. Hmm. Now, when we're doing drilling, we are not American energy fund is not the operator. We are non-operator. We are the capital partner when gotcha. we go to these other companies. Like we're not, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not, you know, we're not Chevron. We're not, you know, we're not EOG. We're, we're, you know, we're American energy fund. We're just a capital partner. So we, in theory, joint venture with these companies, um, that obviously are, we do all the due diligence on the, on the whole entire process. We've got a whole team. I'm like the Henry Ford. Okay. I don't know everything about oil and gas, but guess what? I've cultivated a following a compelling, like a, a compelling, like following where, you know, a cult like following where people know that I'm on the way up. And they want to be in, be in, be in around that and work with us. Yeah. So we have we have in theory recruited top talent to help us understand: is there actually oil in the ground, or are these people lying to us? Because I, I mean, I've watched tons of YouTube videos. Kind of sounds funny, <laughs> but I've watched a ton of YouTube videos. 
to where I know I'm dangerous to know whether or not these people are lying about showing us well logs and telling us if there is oil and gas or oil in the ground or not. The key is, 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 is uh, the reserve. So how much actual oil is actually in the ground, which is important. Gotcha. So yeah, we, we don't do what's called wild catting. Wild catting is drilling, not knowing if there's oil and gas down there. We do a lot of offsetting. Mm. So in other words, we'll know that, you know, every, let's just say every, you know, 200 yards, there's an oil well and there's that river or that lake or that, you know, uh, reservoir of oil and gas. We're just offsetting, you know, 200 yards to the left, 200 yards to the right and offsetting, knowing where the oil's at. And then if we hit a dry hole, which we luckily haven't hit a dry hole yet, um, we've hit some low producing holes. We haven't had a dry hole yet, um, which we will eventually. It's just, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, but we're doing what's called proven undeveloped um, drilling, where hmm. the, the people that we invest into, we know there's oil down there. Um, so we're not, it just mitigates a lot of the risks so that we don't have to go back to our partners and be like, hey, uh, we just lost $4 million in one day. Yeah. We hit, we hit, we hit dirt. <laughs> no, that, that's interesting because I, I honestly don't know how the oil investments play. It makes sense. Obviously, the offsetting versus wildcatting. So when you guys go, you're basically j- joint venturing with the the major companies that are like digging, drilling, running these things. And you kind of go hand pick as the capital leg, bringing on all your investors and all the people who are like, hey, I want to go rock with Mikey. He's going to do the vetting process for us. But we want to play in that arena. Yeah, we're giving a seat at the table with the big dogs. My mentor manages $38 billion. Um, you know, I, I run I run everything I do by him. And for some odd reason, these guys want me to win. You know, they see that I got that dog, that I got that whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, they want me to win. So, yeah, we, we, I, for our partners, I give them a seat at the table. I act as if their family, their kids, their kids' kids are next to the seat next to me when I'm negotiating using, like, you know, never split the difference, Chris Boss, you mm. know, negotiation tactics on Chevron or on whatever these companies we're, we're investing with. And thank God for door-to-door sales because I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to um, have the courage uh, or the confidence to be able to you know push pull tension uh, with a company that's worth billions and billions of dollars if I didn't do door-to-door sales. Dude, I, I love that. I love it, and I hope everybody's listening is like some of these things might have gone over your head, Moik. Your, your new yeah. word that goes around. Some of these words have been been your Moik for my <laughs> for me too. I don't know what the hell Moik was, but. Uh, all you guys that are listening right now, I think it's just so important to understand like the principles of what Mikey's talking about. Your development from 10 years of door to door and you just willed the thing to happen. You're still not even in the position where I think a lot of people are like, oh, I have to understand everything about oil and dude oil. That Still the fund structure itself is a, is a complex. It really is. Like it's, it's not a simple thing, but being a partner in a fund is a simple thing and going and rocking with a great great capital partner who's got great executables, who's got great track record, is a simple thing. And honestly, for me, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I genuinely think for a lot of people, people ask me like, well, you know, what what investments should I do? And I'm like, dude, if you're making 250 plus, like unless you're going to walk away from that, you're going to go full-time, try to do like what you're doing or what I'm doing, you're going to actually create the syndications or you're going to go run the stuff and that's going to be your next thing. Play in somebody's deal because it doesn't make sense to go take on the burden of learning the new arena if you no, have the income like offset the income and diversify it yeah and, and i i don't know why people are so uptight about uh one two three even four percent management fee right like i really don't get that like you make so much more money doing what you're doing and you are able to avoid the stupid tax by diversifying your assets your capital allocation rather into multiple people that that is what they do full-time like that is their thing and it is hard to find a good jockey because they're everybody and their mother's out there raising money Mm. ty that's one of the reasons why i like you so much because you actually do lose sleep over people's money that you have you will lose sleep over that you you will when the when if, if the if the you're at a conference and the, the, the rain happens and the freaking ceiling falls in. You're not calling somebody showing up at 930 the next day. You're there at 2 a.m. Mm. That's how that works. That's why people can trust you with their money. And if you if you can't, you got to be careful. You know, I, I'm like almost going to like create like an ebook on like how to like source good operators, good yeah. jockeys. When it's, it's a real thing. And everybody, bro, like every like I'm like 
I mean, I'm not going to be, I don't ever told anybody, especially in public recorded, but um, I have told my partner and I'm like, can't we just start to lie? Like all these other idiots out there, like they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars and they're lying or Dude, tens of millions of dollars and they're lying. There's a like, lot of just, just like, scam shark marketing out there. A little bit? You know what I mean? Like, can't we just do that a little bit? They're not getting in trouble. And he's like, and thank God, I mean, I was, I'm obviously kidding, but yeah. you know, at the same time, I'm like, how are these guys getting away with this? And that's the thing. They're getting away with it now. For now. But, that's but the part that no one ever understands. It always comes full circle. You just got to be a big enough player and cause enough noise before the IRS, the SEC, and all the different organizations come headhunting you because they don't, you don't yeah, get promoted AG, at the bro, SEC. Like, get you, bro. Yeah. Their promotions, their their career ladder is going after the biggest fish, causing the biggest problems. And like, unfortunately, in our dude, door to door and the investment world, there's so many people that are just like so full of shit, dude. And they, they, the claims are egregious. They're outrageous. And as soon as you get into any of like regulatory information, you're like, dude, how in the world are they saying that? How are they putting that out there? That is so against like black and white regulatory rules, <laughs> but somehow they get away with it for a, a period. Right. And, and, and again, that, that goes back to keeping your integrity, doing what you said you were going to do and having a clean and clear track record. And maybe like, like, I, it was funny. I had a call the other day with a VP of a huge sales organization. And he goes, you know, these other two energy funds, they, they promised guaranteed 85% tax breaks in the first year. And I go, Hey guy. Um, so the IRS code says the most you can get is 80%. So can you explain to me how this oil and gas fund is able to beat the IRS its own code? Cause they say you can do 80% in year one. And you're telling me that these guys said 85 to hundred percent, 85 and hundred percent. And I go, explain to me how that works. For instance, it's kind of like for anybody that's in solar, it's kind of like going in saying, you're going to Mr. Mrs. Homeowner, you're going to be 125% offset offset of what of me randomly picking numbers or your actual 24, 12 months of usage, 125% of what? Yeah. So that's where the confusion is. And like, it's like semantics and I, and, and, and I don't care. I've actually lost people. Um, over the last few years and said, you know what? Those guys are probably, and these are bigger players that if I would have yeah. had these guys in my fund, first of all, they would have had a better experience. Second of all, they would have been able to then leverage that status and be able to have more people invest. But I lost three big players. I can, I can name, I mean, I'm not gonna name them, but I can three, three yeah. big players right now because they looked at other energy funds and they're like, well, they're promising me more. And I go, my partner goes, if they're promising anything, go to them. 60% mm -hmm. returns. Yeah, yeah, no, no, go to them. Yeah. No, no, please go to them. If they're promising you 60% returns guaranteed, yeah, go to them. Yep, go over there. What? And unfortunately, it, you know, it's like an experience of anything, you know, oil and gas. And I was telling somebody this earlier, a buddy, uh, one of my coaching clients, um, a former coaching clients rather. And I was like, oil and gas is a lot like cryptocurrency. Mm. Whenever people learn about cryptocurrency, they're all excited about it. All these crazy, awesome returns, right? Sexy returns. Um, but the catch is that there's a lot of bad people in oil and gas. And that is one of my goals is to, is to help make, you know, the oil and gas investment industry, not like it was and but learn from what people have said and where they've lost money and what they're doing. And then just be very meticulous and, uh, you know, take the spirit of Ray Dalio and my, my mentor Fred to, 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 to the next level. Ray, the goat. I love Ray's books, man. He's unreal. Dude, no, I, I love what you just said too, because it's, I, I think, and it is a really good comparison. I think crypto, those, those, those environments where there's just like nuclear explosions at times, people just get so obsessed with it. People generally know so freaking little about it that it's so easy for some of these people who have a little bit more savviance and have the resources to go collect and really take advantage of these situations because people want to be involved in them, but they don't even know where to start. So speaking of that, obviously you, you kind of mentioned like vetting an operator, doing all these things in, I love that you talk about that, but when somebody's like, Hey man, I want to learn about oil gas. Like I want to, I want to learn a little bit more about Mikey. I want to learn about what they're doing. I want to, I want to investigate this space. What are some of the places people need to go? Like in where can they find information on you and your guys' fund and where can they kind of just like get a grip on everything that's going on in the sector? So, um, Obviously, I'm biased. Um, I, I'm doing my best to come out as a oil, gas, U.S. energy as a as as a whole and a holistic point of view commentator. So I, myself, my partner read 
Um, I'm not reading six hours a day like Warren Buffett, but I'm reading at least 30 minutes to an hour every single day um, of the energy sector in the United States. And obviously, we got to understand macro and, and, and the global too here mm. because, you know, OPEC, Saudi Arabia, stuff like that, Russia, whatever, um, stuff like China, right, um, Venezuela. So I have to understand the, the, the global sector, but I'm, I'm focusing on U.S. energy production um, and the transition from fossil fuels to a sustainable energy future. And I mean, like that also includes natural gas and nuclear yeah. and geothermal. So the best way, honestly, I, I write every single week. Um, I write a news, a news article, like a, a I call it the uh, energy uh, a snapshot of the top three to five articles that I found of 30 or 40 articles. And I just rewrite a, uh, a digestible understanding from a guy that installed, you know, 27 million personal installs in, uh, in solar. My company did 100 and I oversaw 178 million in residential installs myself. So I, I coming from a guy that wow. understands energy and the U.S. grids and, and the transition, all stuff and both both sides. I'm libertarian, bro. I'm right in the middle, man. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care what Joe or Trump says. Like, you guys can fight it out all you want. I'm over here trying to make sure that the lights stay on. My grandpa doesn't have to, you know, pay three hundred dollars to cool, cool and heat his house. Yeah. So the best way to do that is, number one, yes, I, I it sounds silly, but I would say uh, subscribe to my newsletter because I, every single, every single week, plus every single month, I've got an energy snapshot as well as a energy magazine that I put out, um, that I go out, I interview these top operators, you know, top investors, guys like, you know, my mentor manages 38 billion, how they got there, what they're doing, where they think it's going to go. Uh, and then there's, there's tons of videos, man. Like, I mean, I, I do my best to put out as much data information I can on the internet for free to educate people because whenever they go, energy it's the same thing when they go blockchain right <laughs> nfts you're like yeah but there's a lot there's like if you look at it there's yeah. a lot of people that made a lot of money in energy over the last hundred something years that literally built america built the entire world so uh, i mean yeah I, i'm coming out with a few uh, i've got a ton of ebooks you can go to my website get as many all the free ebooks you possibly want on everything that we have written um uh you know investing in oil and gas 101 is a very mm. good book uh, there's a couple guys that uh um that I sent that book over to, they read it and then sent over multiple six figures to me after they read that book. And they're like, I, I got to get in on this process. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. Um, and then you can go to like oilprice.com. It's super biased, but oilprice.com, um, has a lot of really good articles. Um, you can, mm. you can tar you can target your Google to be a little bit more about energy and make sure your Google news has some energy stuff into it there. That's all. It's good to keep on, keep in touch with that. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm coming out with eBooks, and I just give them away. There's on my LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, X. Yeah, we'll that. we'll link all your all your accounts. I'll have to have you send them over. We'll link them all in the the notes so people can like keep tabs on you and, and get access to all these sure. resources. I'd love to go through some of these resources too, just because I've I've personally always heard. I know some people really well who've had some great experiences investing in oil opportunities, and I've had some people who had some terrible experiences. And, but that's the same with every single asset. It's just the one that I know so little about, um, and just in how they operate and what the, you know, due diligence or what the results are, but no, that, that's super interesting. People that have bad experiences just probably jumped in and said, well, that person should have done due diligence and I trust them, but they're doing it. So it's like anything even in real estate, I've yeah. had some really good experiences and bad experiences. When I look at the, why did I have a bad experience? A lot of it is because. I didn't do the extra understanding or, or call and get multiple opinions on this investment, or I didn't listen to them. Yeah. I did not on, on one of my deals right now that they're about to do a capital call on in uh, franchises. I own 23 franchises, 22 franchises. Um, they're about to do a capital call and I haven't made money on that deal for like three years and they're about to do a capital call. And I'm like, I want them to tell them to kick rocks. Um, and I was told by my mentor, one of my mentors back then that he's like, don't do it. When's the last time you heard of a restaurant do really, really well. And I go, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. And I did it anyway, but it got me, it bought me proximity and nah, nah, nah. I did it for more than just the, yeah, there's a couple know, of reasons. Investing into, yeah. But no, still, obviously I want, I, as an investor, I don't want to lose my money. You know, I'd rather go buy into a mastermind and get proximity that way rather than proximity through a bad investment. No, you're totally right. And, and that is, I think for some people listening too, that's actually something you, you brought that up just that, you know, buying your way into proximity, that's obviously played a huge role in your development. You've mentioned multiple, multiple mentors that you've acquired. One being like a $38 billion fund manager, a lot of different high level people that you've kind of dropped as you're, you're talking throughout the whole way. For you, how are kind of just as we're closing up, like 
I think this is such a critical piece because people, I'm sure people are going to go look into this. You know, I'm going to go dig into it. Like I, I am like genuinely intrigued by the energy space. And obviously it's a peace of mind because I still have a solar sector to my team. Um, but when you're, this is something I think is really important for everyone to understand, especially you're developing the money game. Everyone's looking for mentors. When you're finding these mentors, how are you getting access to, how are you picking, who are you going after? Like, how are you identifying, Hey, I'm, this is the right guy for me. This is who I need to be with. And then how do you get in the room with them? Okay. So that's uh, a multi-facet question there. Um, yeah. How I got my current mentor, ironically, posting on social media like this with the Post Oak Hotel behind me in Houston, Texas. I had somebody reach out to me on D, uh, DM me on Instagram was like, hey, is it the Post Oak Hotel? I live across the street from that hotel. The Vertitas own it. It's got the Rolls Royce dealership below it. It's a really nice area. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm a, uh, I'm a, again, the, the situation there was very unique. Um, but again, posting on social media, having a marketing brand, huh. um, being an expert at influence credit, having the influence credibility and authority inside of my space, right. As a, you know, a wealth builder, but that came from solar, um, that guy hit me up. was like, Hey man, I ran a pest control company. I exited $25 million. I want to start a solar company. Why don't we, why, let me pick your brain. And I was like, yeah, no, like I'll charge you 50 grand for that. Um, anyways, the guy, the guy stayed really super persistent. Eventually he took me out to, to lunch. I'm sorry, dinner at like 10 PM after a long day. And I was like, screw it. I'll do it. And the guy was just persistent. Um, long story short, I ended up just adding value to that guy. Obviously, I wanted to try to like, you know, get some equity in this company or do whatever. Mm -hmm. But after after about three months ago, I was like, hey, I want to introduce to somebody that's really, really important to me. And that was Fred. Fred wow. manages $38 billion. And that's how I got that guy. Um, other than that, um, if you don't have uh, a ton of money or a huge uh, social media presence, uh, YouTube is free 99. So, hey, there we go. Uh, Ray Dalio, Jordan Peterson, any of these Warren Buffett, the late Charlie Munger, all these people have their interviews online. I cannot tell you how many hours, like literally probably over 10,000 hours now I have consumed of Elon Musk. Dude, I consume everything <laughs> over and over and over and over again. Of That's Elon awesome. Musk. I freaking love dude so i don't you know i am mentored by elon because i can tell you what he's about to say before he's about to say it i'll, I'll prove it to you here i've also consumed tons of hours of tony robbins online yeah. i went to unleash the power within the other day and i can tell you what he was about to say for the next two sentences before he even said it because i've consumed all of their content over and over and over and over the same exact content over and over and over again so if you don't have a ton of money, that is how that's where you start. And then the process of getting into masterminds, buying your way into rooms. Thank God for door-to-door -door sales. And I didn't spend all my money like most of these guys are doing. Yeah. I started, okay, the hardest decision I ever made, one of the hardest decisions in yeah, my career when I was 20, whatever, 25, 26 years old, was to invest in a one-year program more than the value of my car when it was brand new. That was hard. Yeah. Because I come from a family that was like, you know, you didn't do stuff like that. Mm. I invested $30,000 into a coaching program that was a one-year coaching program that bought me into room, that got me in the room, which now is one of the reasons why I, I, I was in that room with Bridger Pennington at that time, which is why now I have this fund, which is why I have a lot of my mentors that I have now. So That's cool. two of my coaches came from that exact group, um, business partners, people that have, that have given me money, people that have got me out of the hole and mm. be like, Mikey, like, let's go. Let's get you like buying proximity should be your number one goal. If you're making $250,000 a year or less, your number one thing should be to buy your way into as many masterminds as you possibly can, meaning one or two a year by courses, by coaching, but then also you need like an individual coach as well. You should try to find someone that has been there, done that, that, and here's the key is that should answer your question is, would you trade places with them? Mm, that doesn't big. mean would you trade places with them right now that doesn't mean that if you're going to them for financial help that they have to have the best marriage but if you want someone that has financial success and a great marriage and you want to know how that works great well they might not have the best physical physique so in other words if you want physical physique you got to go find physical physique but most physical physique guys don't have any money other than my brother here my brother's got a lot of money he is anyways <laughs> so trying to find someone in what aspects of your life that you actually uh, that you actually um, want to trade places with, which means you might need to have four or five, six different mentors for each individual part of your life. Yeah, no, I think that that's a component. I love that you mentioned that it's it, it is an interesting piece because you might have, you know, your financial coach, your, your physique coach, your wellness coach or whatever. There's, there's people that are really, really great at something. And this is the caveat I think a lot of people mess up on is they find somebody who's a great mentor in some capacity. 
And then right. they go to that person for everything, though, even though that person may not have the skills or the technical ability or have walked the path to go to the next level of whatever it is they're actually trying to do in their business or in an investment, or maybe it's vice versa, investment, and then they're going to the, from a relationship and they have shitty relationships. Like, you really got to understand what are you seeking from the person? What is their actually like qualified skill set? Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons you can learn. I think first off, um, whoever your father figure was growing up, whether it was your dad, your uncle, your grandfather, or a, or a coach or teacher, if your father wasn't in your life, um, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn of what to do. I think most importantly, there's a lot of lessons, what you you're not looking at, but that are right in front of your face of what not to do. Mm. Um, for instance, you know, my dad married three times. I just saved my dad from getting a divorce for the third time. Um, like a couple days ago, like the dude is crying and the dude doesn't cry Jeez. on Monday, a couple days ago, literally. And I've learned a lot of what to do from my dad or my father figure growing up. And then I've learned a lot of what not to do. I think a lot of people are missing that. Like, well, they're mad at their father or they're mad or whatever, you know, or, or, or whatever, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, that your father didn't have financial success. Well, okay, we'll learn what not to do. Well, your father didn't take extreme risk like you did, yeah. like you could, or your father had kids at 18, 19, 20, because that was normal back then. Okay, well, you're 26. You don't have any kids yet. You don't have a girlfriend. So why don't you go take major risk right now and go do door-to-door -door sales, go sell cars, go sell life insurance, go sell real, do whatever you can, go sell, do go hustle, you can go learn right a skill, now. go hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Go learn skill, acquire skills. So that's that. No, I, I like that. I think you, you'll, you'll recognize right off the bat, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this all the time. A lot of people miss this and our generation isn't as big of Tony Robbins as older generations are, but I love Tony the whole, you know, what if life happens for you, not to you. And it really is that whole perspective right there. What if dad isn't a financial wizard? Well, then, you know, a, a whole life of ways not to get it done. What if that was for you to then now go to the next level? Like use every edge you got. And like, if you're just looking at abundance and life happens for you, not to you, you can flip a lot of things on its head the whole underdog advantage type stuff. But dude, obviously, dude, you've, you've dropped a lot of info on us. I think we, we may even have to like a follow up, you know, a little bit down the line and, and look into some of your projects and what's going on and give people some time to, to get into this. Cause this is, this is a whole new space for most people, this, the energy world, but just kind of in closing, dude, I think you've done a lot. You 10 years door to door, you're now running a big fund and most people don't even know what the you know, funds are and energy. Like to, to a lot of people, like you're just growing and, and just churning the machine for you now, just in closing, what is like, what is just lighting up Mikey into the future? Like what, what's kind of like, the dream and where, where is your vision going for the next couple of years? It's the destination, not the journey. I, I think people are, I think people are misleading people that is, and I'm sorry if you say this, but I think it's not the, I don't think it's the journey. I think it's the destination. There mm. is no way I'm going to go, for instance, like I was telling you earlier, no way I'm going to go knock in the rain, in the freezing cold or in the 118, 120 degree heat because it's part of the journey. No, I wanted the fast cars. I wanted the vacation lifestyles. I wanted to be able to go on the island, you know, the, 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 the rent the boats and go on the private jets and have the time of my life. And not only that, I wanted to be able to feed thousands of people, hungry families, which I've done. I wanted to be able to put up solar panels on churches, refugee centers, women's shelters, orphanages, um, and, and, and non-government organizations. I've wanted to do that. And I've done that. I need more money to make a larger wave of impact mm. so right now i'm going to go chase become a billionaire and i'm documenting it throughout social media the entire time and don't get me wrong man it's not been easy not been easy dude you know they say the higher you climb the more you know the more demons you get more enemies and stuff like that and, and dude people want to take me down and and that's fine because dude I, I i'm i'm okay i'm okay with you trying to destroy me because if i can make it through door or sales i can make it through private equity Again, yeah. eventually get into venture capitalism. So um, what really lights me on fire is is seeing young men, 20, 30, and 40-year-olds um, get financial literacy so that mm. they can save their marriage and not have a have a, a marriage that my family had where they broke up because of money. And that is ultimately what I'm pursuing. And my day job is I raise money and develop oil and gas wells and keep your guys' lights on. That's sick, dude. No, I, I love, and, and that's why we're having you on the podcast, right? Because you just you just hit it right on the head. We want to help people develop their financial literacy. We want to help them create skill sets and knowledge sets that allow them to not let finance be the reason that the family crumbles. 
because it is right statistics it's it's freaking high it's most people's problems one of uh the all-time greats dean graziosi always says you know if you can write a check for it, it's not a real problem and i empathize with that a lot you know if if it's the mortgage, if it's the medical bill, if it's school, if it's tuition, if it's whatever, kids' soccer practice, if you can write a check for it, it's not a real problem. The real problems are your family, your relationships, and those are things that sometimes, you know, money can't solve. Uh, but you don't get to focus on those if you're trying to get food. <laughs> um, but, dude, it's been a pleasure. Uh, super grateful you could spend some time. I know you got a million things going on. We all got a t- – it's crunch time before the end of the year when you're in the fun space, man. You, you're just – you're trying to get everything done, filed away, documented, and next node. But I appreciate it, man. We'll – Obviously, have you send everything over so we can let the audience go, you know, peep in. You got to follow Mikey. He's super active on Instagram. It's actually how we connected. And he puts some great content out daily. Got We'll put his newsletter and different things in here so everyone can keep track. But for everyone listening, we'll catch you next time on The Money Game. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. Real Money. Real Money. Money is the answer. Y'all be cool, and we'll see you next time on The Money Game. Money. Money. Yes!